0: Uh, The reading of God's Word from uh, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 62, verses 6 to 9. So uh, let us give uh, reverent and faithful attention to the reading and hearing of God's Word from Isaiah. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. And give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm. I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies. And foreigners should not drink your wine for which you have labored. But those who garnered it shall eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather it shall drink it. In the courts of my sanctuary. Uh, There are a number of uh,
1: doctrines, uh, as you might be aware, that uh, put us uh, uh, in a uh, small minority in the church community. Uh, Sometimes it's difficult to be in the minority, but I, I would contend it's much more difficult to be in the majority if you are wrong. And one of those doctrines is uh, uh, that those who have uh, faithfully as a product of the grace of God and the working of His Spirit believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ are eternally and forever secure in the faith. Really, uh, that which is taught in our text this morning from an Old Testament perspective. Because it's here that the Lord guarantees a coming time of perpetual security. Uh, Of course, it's promised in the prophet, but I think it's inaugurated and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Uh, Throughout this text, uh, the Lord is uh, speaking. Uh, Again, Isaiah 62, beginning uh, in verse 6. And we learn here that God uses angels to secure the city of Jerusalem, and of course, by city, uh, its inhabitants. Uh, It's the promise of God. He's going to dispatch angels to secure the city. And that promise is declared in verses 6-7. to And here we read that He appoints watchmen that will importune Him until uh, His time of a full and complete recovery. Uh, Verse 7, He makes Jerusalem a praise uh, on the earth. Well, so who are these watchmen? Really, the abiding question of the text. In the ancient Near East, guards were posted uh, to sound the alarm of opposing forces. Uh, Essentially, the care of the city was entrusted to their hands. While everyone else is sleeping, the guards were to be on duty, and uh, they were to be ever watchful and awake to sound an alarm uh, if danger was approaching. Uh, Here, these watchmen are divine by divine appointment. So... Uh, perhaps it goes way beyond mere mortals. Uh, their identity is not specified. Uh, I will tell you that I believe they are uh, angels that God appoints to guard the city until they become a praise upon the earth. Uh, one reason, uh, not only from this text, but we have an illustration of this uh, from the prophet Daniel in chapter 12 in the first verse. Uh, because Michael, the great archangel, uh, uh, is spoken of here. Now at that time, Markle, the great, Michael, pardon me, the great prince, who stands guard. Notice he stands guard. He's on guard. Michael, the great prince, is on guard. Over the sons of your people will arise. And there will be a time of distress, such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. And Michael's gonna see to it. He's been appointed by God. And all who have been decreed to be saved, written in the eternal book of redemption, if you will, will be rescued, and none will be lost. And the angel seals it because he has a divine appointment from God. What a great promise. All will be rescued. Uh, it's a uh, text that's spoken of, if you will, 91st Psalm. Psalm 91. Uh, a great promise uh, the s- psalmist gives to us in light of great danger. And we certainly live in great danger. And so what is the promise that we will ever come out of danger? Uh, By the way, this text is spoken of of our Lord Jesus Christ, but here it's spoken to the common everyday Christian uh, who reads it and who believes in the Savior. Uh, What hope do they have that God will see them safely to distant shores? Psalm 91, verse 11, He will give His angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. To guard you in all your ways. What a great promise from God. And these will bear you up in their hands lest you strike your foot against a stone. Great promise that God has dispatched the forces of angels to guard those whose names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. And guard they will. And successfully guard, they are so charged. Uh, Another text that we might repair to concerning angels is found uh, in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 1. Great promise to us. Are they not all ministering spirits? A reference to angels sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. They are ministering spirits to those who will inherit salvation. Of The elect of God, ministering spirits are dispatched to see them into their eternal inheritance. Uh, this, uh, this promise is illustrated, I think, most beautifully uh, in the book of the Revelation, the 7th chapter. God is about to send forces of judgment upon the earth. I believe those forces have been unleashed I can't really speak to the fullness of the time and their intensity, but nonetheless, I believe that this is an inaugurated event. Uh, But notice the third verse. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God upon their foreheads. So the forces of the angels seal the elect so that the judgments uh, cannot touch them. What a great promise. Imagine if you reverse that. We were not sealed, then we would fall under the judgments, wouldn't we? but we are sealed. Ephesians chapter 1, of the great Spirit of God who has sealed us until the day of redemption. Guaranteed by God Himself so that we will pass through this life and our souls rendered to the distant shores by the watchmen on the walls of the eternal city. The promise of God of our security forever. It's not coincidental that the verbal root foundational to the Uh, preposition watchman uh, is used of God. Not only used of angels, we've established that, but it's also used of God Himself. So that there's someone behind the angels vested with all power and authority and wisdom and grace who also promises to secure us eternally. A number of verses that speak to this end. Let's turn back if you would to the psalmist. Uh, One of my favorite psalms. I will tell you, because of the forces of danger that are always about me, that I recite this psalm every morning in prayer before I get in my automobile and drive to various places. Because danger is always about us. And the psalmist writes in Psalm 121, In verses 3-5. to He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you. That's the word again that's foundational to the preposition watchman on the walls of the great city. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel. Again, the guard is God Himself. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. Keeper. The Lord is the watchman before whom we stand. And every day, He's the keeper of the new Israel. Verse 7, The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. That the forces of evil may destroy the body. But our soul is under the watchful care of a sovereign God who keeps His people in time for eternity. Psalm 127, in verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman wakes in vain. In a certain sense, at Grace Bible Church, I'm a watchman over the souls of the faithful who name the name of Jesus Christ. But I will tell you, I slumber and sleep; I am not perpetual or eternal. My prayers sometimes are slight and of low degree, and therefore this is a great promise. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman wakes but in vain, and the angels will not fail. Therefore, returning to Isaiah chapter 62, because 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 God will not fail. He neither slumbers nor sleeps, nor tires, or goes on sabbatical or vacation. We looking at a uh, site on uh, the internet about an English swimmer who was a long-distance swimmer. Uh, He would swim across the English Channel. He would swim from England to Gibraltar. Man, that's a trip. That's that's serious stuff. So he would swim all the day long. Hour after hour, swimming in the open ocean. And one day he was so engaged, uh, he was uh, in the open ocean swimming and a pod of porpoises surrounded him. quite unnerving. I would think it would be unnerving, but they would sometimes grow close enough to almost touch him. This pod of porpoises. But he finally settled down to the fact that that's the way it is in the open ocean. But in a moment, he looked down and he saw a dark foreboding shadow that was the form of a shark that had been following him. And then he knew by the porpoises were there. And my friend, when you know the Savior, you're swimming in dangerous waters. but The angels of God are with you. And if you're not a Christian, they are not with you. And the sharks will eat your soul. And you will never make it to the distant shores. But for the Christian, the angels are dispatched to see us through, to deliver us to the distant shores. So our security really is the product of the great God of heaven who sends His angels and ministering spirits to guard us all along the way lest we trip upon a stone and fall and stumble. The point of the great doxology, now unto Him who will keep your foot from stumbling and who will make you to stand in the presence of His glory blameless and with great joy. The security of the believer is foundational to the Scriptures and the life of the church. And we know it here from the prophet Isaiah because he sends watchmen who are angels to guard his people. That our instate in eternity is secured by God Himself. It's a New Testament doctrine as well. The Apostle Paul in his last epistle He's in prison and he knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to die. And he tells his young legacy, who is quite fearful, that I am convinced. I am convinced. I am persuaded. He's writing of God that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted unto him until that day. So many churches in Oklahoma City deny this doctrine, but it's quite clear that the Apostle Paul affirms it in a radical way. In his last chapter, the last chapter written by the great Apostle Paul, he writes these words He will deliver me from every evil deed and see me safely to the heavenly shores. So I don't know about all the churches of the majority in Oklahoma City, but I know what Paul writes. And he may be in the minority, but one with God is the majority. And the Apostle Paul's words are true and sure. Uh, The appointment of the angels in Isaiah chapter 62 is uh, is somewhat unique uh, in how they uh, secure us. and so the prophet is going to be specific uh, in that uh, verse, uh, verse six. Uh, all day and all night, they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves. In other words, the angels are commanded uh, to never rest nor sleep. They're, they're not uh, uh, to take uh, a break. Uh, and they are commanded by God to watch 24 seven. Over the souls of those who belong to the heavenly city. And they're not to be silent. They're to pray continually. Uh, they are charged with continual activity as if, as if maybe God is, is, uh, is nodding off and the day is late and God needs to take a nap. Uh, and the angels are needed to keep him alert. Uh, no, I mean, I'm speaking figuratively, of course, uh, because, uh, God needs no such thing but we need it to be sure. And the angels are dispatched by our side to remind God. Uh, really, it's a figure of speech uh, uh, in which the a cause is substituted for the effect. Namely, God, God is forever alert. That's really what the promise of the angelic presence means. That God is forever alert. He is the defense that never rests. The parallel, again, found in the second part, Isaiah 62, verse 6, you who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves. That the angels are unceasing in their prayers and go without rest. Again, uh, substituting uh, the angels for the effect that God never rests. The word of the psalmist, the keeper of Israel. Always on station. There is never a time in which we are outside of his sovereign provisions and grace. Never a time in which we are outside of the provisions of God, always on station protecting his people. We, uh, we know this uh, to be true in the great prayer of our Lord, the Lord's Prayer, if you will, uh, John uh, chapter 17. Uh, Our Lord, as you know, is going to the cross. And before He goes to the cross, He prays for those who have been entrusted to His care. John 17, 12, While I was with them, I was keeping them in Thy name, which Thou hast given Me, and I guarded them. I guarded them. And not one of them perished, but the son of perdition that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. He lost one we know of, uh, but that was according to the decree of election that Judas was never chosen. But all the rest that were chosen, Christ faithfully guarded, and none were lost. None were lost. It's true of us, of course. Uh, Verse 20 and 22, I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in Me through their word, that they may be one, even as Thou, Father, art in Me, and I in them, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that Thou didst send Me. And the glory which Thou hast given Me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. Our Lord's Prayer, answered. Because God the Father will always answer the prayers of God the Son. Because the Trinity is always in perfect unity. And that's another reason that we are secure. We have a Savior who continually prays. We have an Advocate in Heaven that always takes our case. and it Always gives a defense. The terminal point of the prayer in verse 7, the end state, Isaiah 62, and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Uh, It's an interesting prayer, uh, but you and I can attach something else uh, to that that we know as well to be sure. Uh, That what's uh, done on earth uh, may reflect what's done in heaven. And what is done is heaven. That the eternal city is there, forever protected. And therefore, what is in heaven will one day be on the earth, the eternal city protected forever. Protected forever. In other words, God will so engage until His city by metonymy of adjunct and the inhabitants of His city are totally vindicated and made perpetually secure forever and ever, world without end. A couple of places where we've studied this previously Uh, Isaiah chapter 58, and verse 8. Then your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will speedily spring forth, and your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. That the presence of God is the vanguard and the rear guard of the people of Israel. He goes before them, and He brings up the rear behind them to see them safely to the distant shores of the great heavenly city. The presence of God Himself. Isaiah sixty-one in verse one. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. Now, if you would look at verse eleven. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes the things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Behind it all, the great promise is God will make it so. And the causality of God is stamped upon the church. It cannot be effaced or erased. It's the instate of God's eternal purposes in our salvation. Well, I'd be amiss, of course, remiss, uh, if it, I, I did not speak to a uh, uh, New Testament uh, verse that uh, had the same uh, theology. So if you're longing to hear such a verse, Second Thessalonians, chapter two, verse 14. It was for this that he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ effectual calling of God, that we will gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sealed by the words of the Apostle Paul, that you and I are predestined to glory. God is before us and behind us, and that we will reach those glorious distant shores, and we will be with him forever, radically changed according to the image of the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, the church bears testimony of this in its hymns. So, hymn on page 457. You can turn there if you so wish, but for the word, praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it. Mount of God's unchanging love. That if God has loved you once, He will love you forever. And you are fixed upon the eternal mountain. And nothing can change that. Great word from the hymnist. The song ends with as powerful a words. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. The book of Revelation has told us that we are sealed. A seal that cannot be broken because it comes from God Himself. The hymnist is praying to God that we know from Scripture that God will answer the prayer. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, perhaps you ought to turn to the great hymns of the church and then turn to the scriptures that uh, is that which is found as reflection of the theology. Come to Christ, apart from which you have no angelic force to protect you and no promise of God to see you to the end. Your only hope is to flee to Christ. It is a theology that's found for us in... uh, One of the great confessional statements. The Westminster Confession of Faith. Page 856. Uh, Chapter 14. Article number 3. This faith is different in degrees. Pardon me, degrees. Weak or strong. May be often in many ways assailed and weakened, but gets the victory. It gets the victory through Jesus Christ. Because He is our victor. And therefore, we will get the victory. So from the hymns and from the great confessional statements, reflections of the Word of God. Majority, of course, in the church in Oklahoma City reject this truth. God appoints angels, but they can fail and do. Church in Rome and the Council of Trent, which was an answer to the Protestant Reformation, denies that anyone can know with certainty and pronounces a curse on those who claim that they can. By extension, of course, they have thereby cursed the Apostle Paul who was certain and persuaded that God was able to see him to the end. Armenians affirm that we cannot know that we are of the elect except in the conditional sense because we can fail. In other words, we are kept by God as long as we can keep ourselves. My friend, that's a vague and empty hope. God will keep you if you keep yourself. The promise of Scripture is that God keeps his people, there's nothing contingent at all about it. So we are secure because God dispatches watchmen to keep guard over our souls. But there's something more radical that speaks to our security. Uh, and that is uh, that God secures us with an oath. In other words, the very word of God takes an oath to secure us to the end. Verses 8 to 9, Isaiah chapter 62. Let's look at the oath, first part of verse 8. The Lord has sworn, there's the oath, the Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his strong arm. It's an oath based upon his power. Figure of speech here, anthropomorphisms of an arm. God doesn't have an arm, but uh, if we could speak figuratively, we would say he has the strongest arm in all of eternity. And therefore, he has power to affect his oath. I take lots of oaths in my life, I will tell you, because I'm not omnipotent that more often than not, they come to no end. Try hard as I may, but that cannot be said of God. When he takes an oath, he has the power to effect it. And therefore, it's certain and sure. Uh, it's the great promises that we read time and again in our study in the prophecy of Isaiah. Uh, uh, John chapter 10 of the Good Shepherd, all that the Father has given me, I lose none. How can he say that? Because he's God. The content of the oath is that oppressors and invaders will never again spoil the land. It's really, uh, in terms of a contextual interpretation, uh, it's a meaning that in the f- future, God will reverse the curse. The curse was that if you don't obey the law, I'll kick you out of the land. In other words, God is promising a time. He takes an oath to secure that time in which the city will be secure, and invaders will no longer come in and spoil the land. Uh, terminal point here is that His people will eat and drink in the courts of His sanctuary. latter part of verse 9. They will gather in the courts of the sanctuary of God and eat and drink. Uh, In other words, they will be returned to the sanctuary where the glory of God was, and they will eat and drink to celebrate His presence. It engages a full restoration communion that the curse is removed, and the promise, of course, is meant to envelop the church whereby in the coming of Jesus Christ, the curse is paid for in the blood of Christ. And the Spirit is dispatched to remove all of its effects. In other words, in Isaiah, it's a future promise. But when you come to New Testament theology, it's a promise that's been inaugurated. It's begun. The timing in all of these promises is the already and the not yet. Uh, Christ, as we know from the New Testament, is the end-time temple. Uh, Permit me one illustration if you will turn in the book of Hebrews to the 10th chapter. Verses 19 and 20. Uh, The book of Hebrews is a radical affirmation that there is but one priest who is effectual. All other human priests are not effectual as he is. We come into the New Testament arena that's of radical importance and of radical importance for people to comprehend today when so many priests make promises that they cannot keep in forgiving sin and in making absolution when only Christ can do that. And He does it in Hebrews chapter 10. One illustration. Verses 19 and 20. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. The Holy of Holies. The high priest went there only one day of the year. The day of atonement. In the blood of Jesus we enter in every day because of who he is. The great high priest. Not after the Aaronic priesthood, but after the priesthood of Melchizedek. And there is only one priest in all of humanity and time and eternity that is after the... Cor- Order of Melchizedek, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore what he does is manifestly important, and every other human priest ought to retreat to the shadows and be careful as to what they promise that they cannot fulfill because they have not a divine appointment. Verse 20. By a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Great promise the grace and mercies of God uh, because Jesus Christ is that veil. That Christ is the true temple and we enter it through Him. The only way to enter is through Him. Any other way is a way of falsehood and of eternal insecurity. That's why, for example, at Grace Bible Church, we don't have an altar. We have a communion table. You know why we don't have an altar? Because we don't sacrifice Christ every Sunday. Because He has sacrificed but one time for all time to secure the forgiveness of the sins of His people for all time. One time for Christ is all that it takes. And people who perpetually sacrifice Christ don't fully understand the majesty of what it means to be secure in Jesus because of who he is and what he does. But more to the point of Isaiah, we eat and drink with him who is the inaugurated reality. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 54 he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. We do that in a sacramental way, first Sunday of every month, at the Lord's table. Reminding ourselves of the reality that in eating the flesh of Jesus and drinking his blood, we are forever the sons of God. Not in the sacrament, of course, but in what the sacrament means. The majesty of the grace of God. The reality is that the curse alluded to in Isaiah is removed in Christ. Removed in Christ. See if I cannot get at this in an indirect way from Christ to the sons of God. Uh, Psalm chapter 2 and verse 7. Uh, we have a promise that was uh, written uh, preeminently, I think. Uh, may be disputed, but uh, the immediate fulfillment, I think, is in uh, David. Uh, uh, but it has its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. and It has its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. Since we are in Christ, it envelops us. I will surely declare the decree of the Lord. The decree of the Lord. The eternal decrees of God. The psalmist says, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord, Thou art my Son, today I have begotten. See? Well, we are the sons of God, and God has begotten us. And therefore, I think by application, the eternal decree of God is forever, ever enveloping us and secures us. And so God in Psalm chapter 2 is reminding David that the insurrectionists about him will not be victorious over him, and therefore by application, the forces of evil uh, are not able to overthrow us because we are in the eternal son who is the very vault of our security. Another psalm, whether it's indirectly or directly or directly messianic, I leave. Uh, for another time, Uh, but Psalm 110 and verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Thou art a priest forever. Now you and I are not priests after Melchizedek, to be sure. I affirm that. Uh, But we are priests of God. And the word of God comes to us making us priests. And it's a word that does not lie and can never be changed because of who God is. And all of this is enjoined by the oath of God, Isaiah chapter 62. And for us, it is realized in Christ that he pays to remove the curse, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. And he secures us forever by his righteousness. Uh, Great reminder uh, of what it means to be in Christ. the greatest of all priests, in fact, the only high priest who has entered the Holy of Holies in heaven and who takes us with him, thereby making us secure forever. A great promise uh, that we have studied time and again uh, as a New Testament realization of the great promises of uh, the book of Isaiah, John chapter 6, verses 37 to 40. All that the Father gives me shall come to me and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me that of all He has given me, I lose none, but raise Him up on the last day. We're secure in Christ. All who are outside of Christ or who come to Christ through earthly priests, I will tell you, ought to be forever insecure. And that is why, for example, the Council of Trent curses anyone who proclaims that it might know eternal security. The Apostle John has written, these things have been written, that you might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you have life upon His name. John had a different theology. The Council of Trent is still widely held in the Roman Catholic Church, but it's an incorrect affirmation it's wrong to curse those whom God blesses by His eternal Word. Christ uh, uh, sets in motion the entire basis for the future and the eradication of the church and the curse from the entirety of the new creation. He is the guarantee of our future, the author, the author, and the perfecter of our faith. And that God will complete what He has started. Now, by application, I want to say this with all seriousness. Uh, These are weighty words, but they also speak to us of our duty. Our duty to be faithful to Christ. If you are a child of the new birth by the grace of God and the Lord Jesus, you are empowered to render evidence of your new birth. Your evidence doesn't save you. Christ saves you, and the Spirit of God generates by His grace, the actions within you, but nonetheless, they are evidence that we might have a measure of the certainty of our salvation and affirm that security in praising God. So, what are the evidences of the new birth, for example, from the prophet Isaiah? Well, the new creation. Much of the theology of 2nd Isaiah, written by Isaiah, Nonetheless, 2nd Isaiah, beginning in chapter 40, is that we are the new creation. And therefore, we express love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I understand in the words of the confession, over time and in degree, but nonetheless, there are evidence that should provoke us to the joy of our security. What's another evidence from the theology of Isaiah? The end-time exodus. We're marching to heaven. We're moving from the city of destruction. Jesus says, My sheep are My voice. I know them and they follow Me and I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. We follow the Lord wherever He goes. Spoken of in the book of the Revelation followers of the Lamb wherever He goes, evidences of our life that provoke us not just from the Word, but by the internal work of the Spirit that we are by grace the sons of God and therefore forever secure. The means of grace, ladies and gentlemen, one of the means of grace is not forsaking your assembling of yourselves together. Church attendance and commitment to the Lord's table. You can't do that electronically at home. So that you cannot, for example, by way of application, say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't have to go to church. I don't have to pray with the church. I don't have to take at the Lord's table. I'm doing it at home. And my authority is Arthur Pink. My friend, I wouldn't want to stand before the Lord of all glory and claim the name of Arthur Pink. I'll take the name of Jesus as the only name to proclaim. People ought to wake up about the evidence of true faith and what security really means. I understand it's the grace of God, but I also understand it produces evidence in the life by application. Uh, the not yet of the promises will also, of course, be fully realized, cementing our place in eternity. Uh, Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 9. Uh, those who garner it will eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather it will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Turn with me, if you would, to a place where this is fulfilled uh, in total sense, Revelation chapter 22. Uh, Indirectly, of course, in different imagery. Uh, Revelation 22, verses 2 and 3, in the middle of its streets, on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation, and there shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him. We'll be there. I don't think we're eating the fruit, but it is a reminder that the curse has been reversed. A reminder of the greatness of the majesty in the present time in the Lord's table. We are reminded that there will come a time when we will enter the fullness of eternal glory and the eternal sanctuary to be in the presence of God, world without end. Secure by the grace of God who starts it in His Son, the Lord Jesus. The full realization of the new creation, the effects of the curse, totally, finally, irrevocably removed, and we will engage in eternal fellowship and communion with God. The picture here of a garden with water and fruit trees, of course, figurative of the consummation of our redemption, sealed at the second coming. But we're sealed now, are we not, by the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1. Sure and certain hope secured in this life by the cross and the Spirit of God. One of my favorite theologians. It's a name you rarely hear today. In many respects, the mantle of Calvin falls upon him in the great city of Geneva. His name was Francis Turretin. Rights of eternal security to the importance of it in our lives and the assurance of our faith in this life. For him, and I quote, it was a fountain of gratitude. A root of humility firm anchor of confidence, fullness of sweet consolation, and a spur to piety and godliness. So there is something about this great doctrine of eternal security that ought to course and surge throughout the entirety of our spiritual veins, giving us assurance and the praise of God spurring us to pursue godliness with all the strength that we have. That we might know that we are His sons and walk in this world with the joy and the hope of an eternal faith. So says Francis Tureth. But so says the Lord Jesus Christ in the Word of God. Isaiah would agree because God appoints the angelic host to guard us. Angels dispatched. They cannot sleep. They cannot slumber. And they cannot keep silent. Their prayers enter into heaven, seeing us to the end, the distant shores of glory. They will not fail. And then God takes an oath to remove the curse. He cannot and will not fail. Our part, therefore, in this life is sealed. Now and forever. Don't forget it. Give no thought that you're in the minority of the churches of Oklahoma City. Proclaim the truth. It's the Gospel. And as important in the words of Turretin, live it for the glory of God.